Good afternoon and welcome to Bible Quest after a, a two-week hiatus. Uh, I'm Jeff Smelser and we're going to be talking about baptism today and whether or not saying baptism is necessary is tantamount to advocating salvation by works. Uh, with me is Joe Works in Elmira, New York and Chase Byers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Good afternoon, guys. <clears throat> hey, gentlemen. Afternoon. Good to see you all today. Yeah, very good to see you. So just before we started, we were talking a little bit about this news before we get to our topic um, about the Catholic, the Roman Catholic Pope coming out with, oh, now Joe's making fun of my words, hiatus and tantamount. <laughs> so we were talking about this news about the Roman Catholic Pope um, saying that same six, or at least here's the headline, he supports law for same-sex civil unions in new documentary, says they're children of God. Uh, maybe that'd be a good thing to talk about here in another week or two on this webcast. What do you think, guys? We're not supposed to yep. do it. Might be good to, yeah, it might be good to find out if he makes some clarifications or anything. Sometimes uh, articles aren't quite accurate, but... Uh, lines are not reliable, that's true. But And, and, and it's not... It's not our goal to to bash denominations or anything like that to, for the sake of puffing ourselves up. That that wouldn't be the, the case. Just with there being so many Catholics out there, I think we, as on a quest for what the Bible has to say, it's our job in this podcast to talk about what the Bible really has to say about something. And when a very large leader in churches is saying something contrary to what the scriptures actually say, I think it's right of us to want to point that out and talk about that openly. Um, and so well, that, that's well our goal. Put. Well put. Good perspective. All right. Well, let's get our, to our topic for today. Um, so our our topic today, this this idea that if you say baptism is necessary, or if you say you're not saved until you're baptized, uh, then isn't that the same thing as saying we're saved by works? Uh, I've had this kind of thing come up so often. I'm sure you guys have. You guys had that question put to you very often. Numerous. Numerous yeah, sure. It's pretty often if I'm studying with somebody and we get to talking about what does it mean to be saved from sin, and we talk about how baptism plays into that, and whenever they hear what the scriptures say or what I believe about needing to be baptized in order to be saved, that automatically equals in their head, you're saying you're saved by your works. You're saying since you're not saved until you're baptized, then therefore you're only saved when you are baptized, therefore you're saved by works. And that's kind of how it plays out in their head, and that's the end of it. So let's do this. First of all, I just want to turn to the book of Romans because the book of Romans is prominent in the New Testament in saying that we're not saved by works. And I want to, I guess, just a few verses here to get the idea. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 20, Paul says, uh, by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. And then in verse 21 and following, he says, now apart from the law, a righteousness of God has been manifested. So he says, not justified by works, there is a righteousness, but it is apart from works uh, or apart from the law. And then we get down to chapter three and verse 27. And he says, where then is the glory? It's excluded by what manner of law? Of works? No, but by law of faith. So there you go. Then we come down to verse uh, chapter 4 and verse 1, and he brings up Abraham as an example. And he asks the question, 
Uh, what did Abraham find? In verse 2, if Abraham was justified by works, he has whereof to glory, but not toward God. Point there being, he could glory in himself. He could take credit himself. So then Paul answers the question in verse 3 by turning to the scripture. The question was, was Abraham justified by works? And the answer he finds in Genesis 15, verse 6, which he quotes in verse 3 of Romans 4. He says, for what says the scripture? And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him for righteousness. And then in verse 4, he contrasts the guy, who the theoretical guy, who would work for a reward. And then it's not of grace, but it's a debt. But, of course, we're saved by grace, and, and it's not a debt that God owes us because we didn't work for it. It's not by works. And so then we get to um, Romans chapter 4 and verse 6, and he says, Even as David also pronounces blessing upon the man unto whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. So if you just read through the, the chapters 3 and the first part of chapter 4, it becomes very clear Paul is saying, <clears throat> we're not justified by works. Uh, and yet, in this very same letter, when we get to Romans chapter 6, Paul says in verse 3, are you ignorant that all we who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him through baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we also might walk in newness of life. Now, here's, here's the thing that I want you to get out of this. We're not saved by works. Rather, instead of being saved by works, we're saved by faith. Faith in what? Faith in what? Faith and works. Faith in what? Faith. Oh, faith. I'm sorry. I was taking care of a message, so I, I missed kind of where you're at. I apologize. <laughs> Thanks for jumping in there. Faith in Christ Jesus. Faith in Christ Jesus. Why? What did Jesus Christ do that can save us? Died for, us for our sins. So you got work salvation, and then you've got salvation through the death of Jesus Christ. And those two things are contrasted. Either we, we work our way to righteousness or we have a righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because of his death. Baptism is associated with which of those in the letter to the Romans? It's associated with the death of Jesus. Paul says we're baptized into Christ's death. So in this very letter where Paul talks about the fact we are not justified by works, why is that? It's because we're justified by the death of Jesus Christ, which is not something we did. But Paul talks about baptism as going with the death of Jesus Christ. We're baptized into Christ's death. That's how we become a part of Christ's death. That's how we gain access to the blessings that are in Christ's death. So when somebody says, well, if you're saying baptism is necessary, you're arguing for justification by works. I'm going to say, Paul didn't think that. Paul thought that baptism was the opposite of justified by works. Paul thought that baptism was a part of being justified by the death of Jesus Christ. So that, that's the, the, the first point that I want to start with. And I don't know where you guys want to go from there. Maybe you will have something you want to well, say. About let me just make this observation because it may be obvious for most, but sometimes I'm slow at picking up on the significance of those things. 
the power of what you're saying here, Jeff, is that this is all in the same letter. It's not like you're looking at one verse in one book and another verse in another book and kind of cherry picking things. This is showing the consistency of Paul's message in the book of Romans. Exactly. I think that's, really, that's helpful to, to note. I think, and I think, you know, sometimes it's, we, we think of the book of Romans and we think it's like this whole huge book and there's all sorts of unrelated stuff in it, but it's really not. It's a letter. And in my Bible, that letter begins on page 168 and it ends on page, you know, page 183. So it's basically a, uh, what is, is that a 16 page letter? Yep. And um, so it's a letter. And in this same letter, he's really got kind of a train of thought that runs all the way through it. And he says, we're not justified by works. We were baptized into Christ's death. <laughs> you can't set baptism on the side of being justified by works when you read this one letter. So maybe also tying together Romans 10, uh, sometimes people will try to emphasize this aspect of believing and suggesting that all we need to do is believe various passages we could go to. But here, even in, uh, in Romans, uh, you, you have that emphasis given Paul's talking about how they need to believe in Jesus. They need to uh, confess with their mouth, the Lord Jesus believe that God raised him from the dead Again, that's consistent with things that he's already said. That's not contrary to it. So he's emphasized that we need to believe. Um, in the first few chapters, he talked about, about repentance even. And, and here he's talking about confessing Christ. He's already dealt with Romans in Romans 6 with baptism, uh, a very consistent message to the book of Acts and the conversion stories that we see. But Romans 10 doesn't contradict Romans 6, and, and he doesn't have to restate baptism again here because he's already made that clear. In fact, in Romans 6, the passage you referred to, it's pretty strong because he doesn't even argue for the necessity of baptism. He assumes that the readers already got that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, to your, to your comment on Romans chapter 10, I assume you're, are you especially having in mind verse 9, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, Lord Jesus, Jesus says, Lord, and shall believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Right, right. You know, when people say that you don't have to be baptized, you are saved the moment you believe, are they talking about the same kind of belief as Romans 10, 9 is talking about? Are they using the word believe in the same way as Romans 10, 9 uses it? What do you think? I'm not sure that people have in their minds multiple views of belief, but um, I think what they often, what I will hear is sort of just the mental acknowledgement of God. Yeah, and, and yet... I would argue that in Romans 10, 9, the believing with your heart is a more all-encompassing thing than, than that. Um, you know, this is not the only place in the Bible where what we have to do is summed up in the expression believe, and yet baptism is obviously a part of it. John 3, uh, in John chapter 3, everybody can quote John 3, 16, except for many years I couldn't. I'd always mess it up somehow. Uh, can either of you guys quote John three sixteen so I don't mess it up? 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever should believe in him shall not perish, but have ever, eternal or everlasting life. Yeah. And people know that verse, but sometimes they don't know the context. That is that statement in John 3.16 is part of a conversation Jesus is having with Nicodemus. And if you just go 11 verses earlier to verse 5, Jesus had said to Nicodemus, uh, except you are born of water and spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So Jesus had just said, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. He just said, you have to be born of the water and the spirit. And then he says, for God so loved the world that whosoever believes on him uh, should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so well, what does that tell me? That, that the believing there is more than just a simple, yes, I, 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 I'm convinced Jesus died on the cross. It includes being born of water and the Spirit. And if you go on in John chapter 3, he contrasts the guy who believes with the guy who doesn't believe. And the guy who doesn't believe loves the darkness, but the guy who believes comes to the light and does the truth. Well, that tells you something. There's no room in there for a guy who doesn't do anything. He doesn't come to the truth, but he believes. If I don't do anything, I don't believe. And so what I'm saying is believing in John 3 is a more all-encompassing thing than just saying, yeah, I think I, I do. I think Jesus really is the Son of God. Boom, I'm saved. No, that's not what it's talking about. So maybe continuing right there in John, in John 12, really significant, I think, verse 42 Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. So here you have a passage that specifically says that these people believed in Jesus, but they were unwilling to confess. Yeah. I think it's pretty clear both what John is implying and put that with Romans 10, 9, and 10. Those people would not be saved, even though it specifically says that they believe. Yeah, yeah. So, so then some people I know would say, okay, okay, you do have to confess. You have to confess. But that, that brings us to an interesting question, doesn't it, guys? Well, yeah. Are those things saving you, right? Is that, is that still kind of at the root of the question? Because I think a lot of people with baptism, they're, whoa, 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 you're saying that that work saves you because it is a more outward action than perhaps belief or can, the act of confessing is. But I think there's an argument or a case that can be made that there's way more action in confessing and confessing and confessing and repentance uh, than there even is in baptism. Um, and so it still comes back to the question of, is it our works that save us? Or are these simply conditions that we must meet in order to be saved? So when we get to this point in this conversation, we will run into people who are willing to say, yeah, okay, you really do have to confess. And and some of them will go so far as to say, yeah, you really do have to repent. Why is it that they, they, can ex they, they say, all you have to do is believe. And then they're willing to slip confession and, and repentance into that rubric. But they just draw the line at baptism. Why, why does baptism get treated so differently? Like I said, I, I think it is a... It is one of those things that is more outward. Uh, it is a symbol in many confession ways. Confession is outward. I mean, my, yeah. it says, Romans 10, 9 says, confess with your mouth. That's blah, blah, blah. You know, that's your mouth. Well, I, I think that the idea of confession and repentance, uh, you know, confession is something you do with your mouth. 
repentance is mainly a mental action. It's going to be followed by physical changes, yeah. but the mental action. But but clearly, baptism is something that you are doing as opposed to saying or thinking. I think is the is the argument that people have in their. And so somehow they've got it in the head, they've got it in their heads, that there can't be anything you have to do. Right. And, and while they're willing to say confessing is not doing anything, even though it is, and they're willing to say believing is not doing anything, to them, baptism is obviously something you're doing. So where did they get this idea you don't have to do anything? Where did they get this idea? You don't have to do it. Do we have to, let's put the question this way. Do we have to do anything to be saved? In other words, is salvation conditioned upon our doing something? Is salvation conditional or not? That's really what we're asking. From the pure Calvinistic standpoint, the answer to that question would be no. There is nothing that you can do uh, to receive salvation. It is only something that God can appoint you to. Well, if I want to be saved then what do I do? I mean, well, you just said, I don't do anything. You can't do it. Well, well, so how do I get saved? If, if I can't, if, if there's nothing I can do, how do I get saved? The sovereignty of God just decides whether Jeff is saved or not. Um, that's that completely arbitrary to God because he is all sovereign. That's the Calvinistic teaching. But God, go ahead, Chase. Well, and I just want to say, some might be listening and saying, well, why are they talking about Calvinism all of a sudden? And so I just want to, I want to clear that up. Yeah. Um, in, in these conversations that we're talking about that we've had with different people, there was one time I was having a conversation with a Baptist pastor about these things. And um, I was stressing the point, well, you know, baptism is not a work in the way that you're thinking that it is, because I think you would readily agree with me that belief is necessary. Um, John 3.16 and um, other places that, that discuss the need to believe in Jesus. And he saw where I was going with this. If you can make the case that belief is just is, is a necessary condition to salvation, then Something it's not that much of a leap. Right. Then it's not that much of a leap to say baptism is also something you need yeah. to de- do as a condition. Mm-hmm. Well, knowing where I was going with that, he kind of sat back in his seat. And he goes, this is truly what he said. He said, well, I, I don't like doing this but I'm a Calvinist and I like to keep my Calvinist cards close to me. And so I'm going to pull one out and I'm going to play it. Oh boy. Technically, because I'm a Calvinist, you don't even get to choose to believe. It's something that God gives you. It's something that God picks you for. And so even then belief isn't a condition. It's not something you do. It's something God is doing for you. And that really ended the study. I mean, there was nowhere else we could go. Now we had to study the, the five points of Calvinism was the next thing we were going to have to do. We're going to have to completely recircle and look at this worldview of total depravity, unlimited, uh, un- unconditional election, limited atonement, and just go through all the points, whereas there is this idea that God is just the one that chooses you to do all the these conversation things. conversation is so telling because so many people who attend these evangelical churches and they've been taught you don't have to be baptized. You don't have to do anything to be saved. They don't think it through to the point that you did and say, wait a minute, I have to believe. So that that's doing something. It may not be doing something physical necessarily, but it's me by my volition doing something. And, and they don't think it through and say, well, well, if, 
if I if God can require me to believe, why can't God require me to be baptized? And they just they just mouth what they've heard that well you have to believe, but you don't have to do anything. You don't have to be baptized. But they don't understand that the doctrine that they have been taught is being taught to them by clergymen who are Calvinists, like just like the guy that you were talking to, who believe you don't have to be baptized, and they believe they can be consistent because to them, faith is not something you do. Like you just said, faith is something that God just arbitrarily gives to the certain ones that God's decided he's going to save. And that's a scary thing, but people don't realize that's where this doctrine comes from. Right. You know, we've got a good comment from Carolyn uh, Salzman. Uh, You choose Jesus and do what he tells us to do, uh, to be baptized for the remission of your sins. She says, is this not a command? And so we need to obey it. And she also points out that she heard someone once say that it's not really a work because you're not baptizing yourself, someone else is. And I think that is a helpful thing to consider of all the things that, that go into our conditions of being saved. Baptism is the most submissive one of them all, where you're just letting someone else lower you down in the water and raise you back up. But of course, it's the blood of Jesus that washes you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And maybe going back to the Romans 6 text that you started with earlier, um, you know, done biblically correctly, uh, baptism is an admission that you cannot save yourself. Baptism is an acknowledgement that I need to put the old man to death and be raised to walk in newness of life with Christ. I'm not saving myself by that. I'm saying Joe is, is, is a sinful creature that, that cannot save himself. I need to be buried with Christ. Again, tying in what you said earlier, uh, that whole sense of, of it, it pointing to the death of Jesus instead of to our uh, human works salvation based. Um, the, the, the very act of baptism is an act of submission to God's will, saying I'm giving up my own. Yeah, it, 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 baptism is an appeal to the death of Jesus Christ as the means where I, whereby I can be saved, because I can't save myself. So really, baptism is the very opposite of being saved by works. Baptism is saying, I can't save myself. I need that death of, of Jesus on the cross. I need to be a part of that. Going back to the physical act of baptism, I like the point that you were making. I think, Chase, you were making the point, and then, Joe, you affirmed it baptism is not something, I don't just go and immerse myself. I don't just go and jump in, in the lake. Um, in the Bible, somebody's always being baptized by someone else. And God does. He sometimes uses outward actions and forms to represent spiritual ideas. I, I think that's what we have. God, by design, intended this to look like my my yielding, my, submissive, my submissiveness, my submitting to, to another. And so, I am baptized passively, you could say, um, because we are dependent upon Jesus' death for the cleansing from our sins. Got a couple of comments here. Pat says, maybe, this is going back to, I think we, we've touched on this already and ended up the same place his comment goes. He says, maybe they, the people who say you don't have to be baptized, would say the verses mentioned in Romans 3 uh, I think he's talking about the ones where it says we're not saved by works, but by the law. Maybe they would say those would teach one doesn't have to do anything to be saved. And I think that's exactly right. But then the irony is 
you, they think you do have to do this, you have to believe. And, and yet, as Chase pointed out, the conversation he had with the Baptist pastor, the, the, the theology behind this doctrine is that really even belief isn't you doing anything. And so they say, you don't have to do anything. You don't even have to believe. Um, and, then, and then Pat has another comment. He says, baptism is an admission that one needs the remission of sins that I can't be saved without Christ and his death. Yeah. And so I think that's what we were just saying. Thanks, Pat. Thanks, Carolyn. Yep. We've got another comment too. Perry says he told a Calvinist preacher once, if you are right and I am wrong, then it doesn't matter that I am wrong. God still might save me regardless of whether I even know it. But if I am right and you are wrong, then it does matter because you teach that people can't choose and I am teaching people can. That's and true. That he, he admitted that it, that is right. So it doesn't matter. Then why try to convince people that it's even true? That's exactly right. The premise here, remember, is that God just arbitrarily picks who's going to be saved and who's going to be lost. And that's why they teach you don't have to do anything because God's just picking and choosing. Well, and that's what made the discussion with my friend as well difficult is here we had went for an hour and a half about these issues. And then at the end of it all, he just kind of pulled the rug out from under it and went back to his Calvinistic worldview where he would need to start with me is there in order to convince me so not to do biblical gymnastics or ping pong. You've got to start with this worldview. So there is one passage that they'll throw out to try to validate this claim that you don't even choose to believe. God just puts faith in you and it's God doing the believing for you or causing you to believe. And he just does that arbitrarily for the people that he's decided he's going to save. Um, and what is that passage? There's a number that are coming to my mind. I don't know if you're thinking about John 6 or John 12, where it talks about God drawing those to himself, or if you're talking about Romans, the ninth chapter, where this idea of God choosing is discussed. So I don't know where you're thinking. It might be neither of those places. Yes, yeah, it's, it's neither of those. Certainly every now and <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, certainly every now and then John 6, 12 will come up. Usually it doesn't come up immediately. It's not a real clear passage to make that claim. Um, let's see, did you, uh, Acts, John 6, 12, verse 44, no man can come to me except the father that sent me draw him and I'll raise him up in the last day. You have to read into this, a Calvinistic theology to assume that God draws you by compelling you against your will. Um, what he says is verse 45, it is written in the prophets, they shall all be taught of God and everyone that has heard from the Father and has learned comes unto me. So it's not that God just arbitrarily says, okay, you're saved and I'm going to draw you and you can't, you can't resist. If you could resist, then you have a choice. And if you have a choice, their whole theology goes out the window. Salvation but, becomes conditional. What's also helpful in that same context, just over in John 12 in verse 32, Jesus says, and if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. And the way I, I take that is whenever you look at the story of the cross, whenever you look at the lifting up of Jesus, it does draw men to him. Uh, that's what the purpose of the story of the cross is to begin with. And then, and then it's, but it's then through the teaching, the teaching of that, of that sacrifice, the teaching of that self-sacrifice and the teaching of uh, the reason we can believe Jesus is the son of God and the teaching of, of the expectations so it connects God drawing us with God teaching. He draws us by teaching and specifically the death of Jesus. 
Uh, but the passage I had in mind that I usually hear is Ephesians 2.8. And Ephesians 2.8 is a passage where they'll try to say, no, you don't have to believe. Faith is something that God puts in you. You don't choose to believe. And it says, for by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. So what they're doing, they're assuming that when it says that not of yourself, it's the gift of God, they're assuming that that refers to the word faith. They're assuming it means faith is not of yourself. It's a gift of God. You don't even choose to believe. That's what they're saying this passage teaches. But in fact, the antecedent of it or that is not faith. Uh, in the Greek language, like some other languages, has feminine and masculine nouns and also neuter. And when you use a noun and, uh, and it's in the masculine case, if you have a pronoun referring back to it, it needs to be masculine. Or if it's feminine, then the pronoun referring back to it needs to be feminine. In this case, the word faith is neuter. But I'm sorry, it's feminine. But the word, when it says uh, that not of yourselves, it's, it's neuter. So it's not referring back to feminine faith nor grace. It's referring to the verbal idea of being saved. So really what this is saying is, uh, verse 8, it's saying, by grace have you been saved through faith, and that being saved is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. So salvation is a gift of God, but he's not saying your believing is something that involuntarily happens. It's not saying faith is something that God just gives you without any choice on your part. So separate but not apart from this conversation, um, one of the arguments that I hear regarding the necessity of baptism in being incorrect is that and, and again, this kind of goes to the Calvinistic view, but maybe even broader than this, would be the sovereignty of God. Uh, that, that God is sovereign, God rules, God decides everything. And because of that, then, if baptism is something that's necessary, then I can choose whether or not I'm going to be saved or not. Um, and, and that would then mean that I'm overruling God in something that is that, that is such a straw man um uh, i mean the, the 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 idea that god is sovereign is absolutely true but can but are we going to limit a sovereign god or... <laughs> yeah if god is sovereign god can choose to give us some choice or not and exactly. the calvinists are saying no 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 god you can't do that the calvinists yeah. are making themselves <laughs> sovereign <laughs> it it, it, it I don't know, there may be something that I'm not connecting with what they're saying, but that really does seem very contradictory that they decide that God cannot put into place a, an order or a pattern by which his people will be elected or chosen. Yeah. Um, but I do believe that God is sovereign. I do believe that God desires all men to be saved. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4, it says specifically that mm -hmm. God desires that all men be saved. And so if you have a sovereign God who the Bible says once desires everybody to be saved, then do we have some sort of a, an, a, a bipolar or, or schizophrenic God? And I'm not making fun of people that are. Right. Saying, would that be the terminology that you would use if God is 
either he's inconsistent, hypocritical, a liar. Yeah. I, I think that we have to be able to, to see God desires all men to be saved. That's a fact. There's, there's no arguing, and, and that's clear. That's not hard to understand. Then why aren't, why isn't everybody going to be saved? Because some people are choosing not to be. They're rejecting God. Yeah, yeah. So here, there, here's the Calvinist picture of God. I want all these coins. I want all these coins to, to be over here on this end. So I want all these coins, not that one. I want all these, not that one. I'll put that one over there. I want all these coins to be over there, not that one. That, that's kind of their picture. You know, he's, on the one hand, he's saying, I want everybody to be saved. On the other hand, he's saying, I'm just going to pick. I'll just pick who's saved. <laughs> and it's not you. <laughs> and so when we look at the passages that deal with baptism, what we ought to do is say, okay, we have a sovereign God who has inspired men to tell us what we need to do in order to have a relationship with him. What are the conditions by which we can uh, be a part of his family? And one of the things that Peter makes abundantly clear in 1 Peter 3 is that baptism saves us. Let's ask a different question here that's related to all of this. When people say baptism is being, if you're trying to say baptism is necessary, they're going to say that's work salvation. Biblically, from the Bible, if we're going to use the Bible to tell us what work salvation is, what would work salvation be? What would I have to do to be saved by works? Can we talk about that for a minute? Yeah, well, I, I, can, I can answer it, I think, in one sentence. We would have to find a way to pay for our sin. Yeah, yeah, because that's the whole problem. The relationship that I, the relationship has been between me and God is destroyed by my sin. So somehow I have to get rid of that sin. Yeah. So, so let, let's say, you know, you, you committed fornication, you, you stole from somebody, you just, you, somebody list all the horrible things that you've done. And now what you have to do is make those things right and, and, and make it and make it as if those things never happened. And I've got to do that by my works. Right. Yeah. Figure it out. Go ahead. Figure out how to right all of those wrongs. And of course, everyone immediately sees the problem, right? You, you, I panic when I think about all that I've done and I'm like, what do I do? There's nothing I can do about these things, but works-based salvation says, no, you can figure it out. You, you can check the boxes yourself and fix this problem. But of course, as we all know, there's nothing I can do. I think there's a pretty powerful illustration in the old Testament of this very thing. We sort of have three choices, right? One is that God's going to just save us irrespective of what we do. Uh, or we're going to do something just really great, and, uh, and, and that's going to, to be the, the thing. Or the third option, which the three of us would agree on, is we need to just submit to what God has said. In 2 Kings, the fifth chapter, you have the story of Naaman, who uh, has leprosy. And he comes to Elisha the prophet, and uh, Elisha sends word to him that he needs to, in uh, 2 Kings 5 and verse 10, go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. Verse 11, Naaman is furious, and the first thing that he says is, 
I said to myself, he'll surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord God and wave his hand over his place and heal his love. God's going to do it with, with me not doing anything. He's just going to perform some great thing, and I'm going to be clean. And then this, in verse 12, are not the Abana and the Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters? You know, can't, I, I should be able to go wash in a, in a better river. I, I should do something myself better than that muddy Jordan. And the, the, the fact was what he needed to do was just do what God said yeah. in order to be clean. Which now, is truly really faith. Is God sovereign in 2 Kings 5? Yeah. Amen. And he told Naaman what he needed to do to be cleansed. It's not just a matter of eternal salvation. There's all sorts of examples throughout Scripture. Did Noah, did he need to build the ark? God could have saved him from, that, from the world in, in, in some other way. But he expected Noah to do something, and if Noah hadn't done it, he wouldn't have been saved. By faith, Noah prepared an ark for the saving of his family, Hebrews 11. There, there's, there's tons of examples of people needing to do something and God saving them, but there was conditions upon their salvation. Hebrews 11.30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. But everybody understands they had to march around it because God told them to. Uh, it wasn't, they couldn't just say, well, we, we just want to believe. We don't think we have to march around it. Uh, but I want to go back to this idea of, of salvation by works. And, and, the, and the Bible actually tells us what it means to be saved by works. If we look at Romans chapter 4 in verse 2, it says, if Abraham was justified by works, and, and that's what we're asking, what would you have to do to be justified by works? He has whereof to glory but not toward God. If I'm justified by works, I don't give the credit to God. I don't glory in God. I glory in myself because mm -hmm. I did it. What does that mean? Well, verse three, what says the scripture that Abraham believed God and it was reckoned unto him for righteousness. That's just saying he wasn't justified by works. He put his trust in God. But verse four, now to him that works, here's the guy. Here's the guy who's justified by works. To him that works, the reward is not reckoned, it's not credited as a grace, it's not a favor, but debt. Right there. He tells us justification by works means God owes us the reward. What in the world would I have to be, how, in what condition would I have to come before God where I could say, God, you owe me the reward. I deserve this. And, and the answer is, I would have, just going back to Chase's point, I'd have to have no sin. And the only way I can do that is by living a perfect life. If I haven't lived a perfect life, then I am dependent upon God's grace in Jesus Christ to get rid of my sin. And then, and then it's not a reward that he owes me. It's a favor. So justification by works would be to think that I can make myself righteous. The Jews suppose they could make themselves righteous by being circumcised or by being a Jew or by keeping the law to some extent, even though they had violated it many times. And Paul's point is, no, that will not get you saved by works. As a matter of fact, if you go to Galatians, the second chapter, or Galatians, the third chapter and verse 10, as many as of the works of the law are under curse, for it's written, cursed is everyone who continues not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. James 2.10 makes the point, if you violate in one point, you're guilty of the whole law. So the only way I'm going to stand just by works is if I never sin. But none of us can stand before God and make the claim that we are justified by our works. 
So what's baptism? Baptism is not an attempt to say, oh, yes, I, yes, I am. I did this great thing. Going back to your story in 2 Kings 5, I did this great thing. No, you didn't. All you did was let somebody dunk you in the water because God said to. Oh, but I did this great thing and it makes up for all of my sins. No, it doesn't. It just connects me with the death of Jesus and Jesus takes away my sin. So baptism is not trying to be saved by works. Pat just quoted Galatians 3.12 and just uh, sent that in. Drew has a comment. He says, this is really a serious discussion. It has to do with my immortality, where I'll spend eternity. Therefore, it is dangerous to simply follow the teaching of men who try to play down what the scriptures teach and simply make bold statements that baptism is a work without scripture defining that. That's right. All you people, if you're listening to this and you've been taught this idea that you don't have to do anything to be saved or if you were trying, to, if you were saying that baptism is necessary, that'd be work salvation. Find that in the Bible. It's not there. You're just following the teachings of men. There's one other thing I wanted to say. I wanted to be sure we got to. I don't remember what it was right now. I, um, I, yeah. I got a chart I can share that I think is super helpful. Just real quick, this this is probably something some of you all have seen um, in other Bible quests. Um, with Scott Smelser, this is a chart he uses, but this is just a helpful chart. Um, are we saved or, or are we judged by works? You've got two guys. Uh, one guy, he, he's doing good in the world. He's doing good deeds, but there's also some bad things he's doing. Then there's another guy who's in a very similar situation. Well, they both have been doing good deeds, but they both see the bad in their life. And so man A he says, I need to do something about this. So he starts to do more good, more good, more good, hoping that the good can outweigh the bad. And the second guy, he looks at his situation and he goes, well, there's too much bad there to begin with. So I'll just do more bad. Well, you look at this and there's some good and there's some bad on both parts. Yep. Both of these guys, regardless of where they go, they're both judged by their evil works. Both of them have evil works. There's nothing that they've been able to do about that. And so this guy, uh, even though he's done good, there's bad. And the same with the other guy. The guy on the right is washed by the blood of Jesus. The guy on the left, he's going to be judged by evil works. The blood of Jesus cleanses the evil. Um, and so he's justified by grace. So I, this is just super, super helpful chart. Scott Smelter has arranged and I'm sure used in other podcasts. Um, but guys, I just think that's a super helpful chart to kind of illustrate this well all right great uh anything else joe you want to go to we've got just about two minutes here left if you can wrap something up in two minutes either one of you i don't have two minutes worth of knowledge here i don't even have two cents <laughs> all right so let's sum it up then is salvation conditional uh yeah god wants all men to be saved but he has he has made salvation conditional. He says, here's the sacrifice that takes away your sin. It's the sacrifice of Jesus, but you have to put your trust in him. And the thing is, we have to let God define how we put our trust in Jesus. Um, and, and so God said, you have to become a part of that death. You have to put to death the old man. You have to live um, with Christ as sanctified Christ as Lord in your hearts. One of the things that I think people don't really think address is yes we can sum up the we can sum up salvation as being conditioned upon faith but they don't really pause to think that that answers the question of what i have to do at least broadly but it doesn't answer the question of at what point do i become saved 
the, the moment that I first believed that, yes, Jesus really is the Christ. No, somebody quoted John chapter 12, where there were various of the Pharisees who believed but would not confess him, weren't saved. So it's not the moment that I mentally, intellectually think Jesus is the Christ. Is the moment it's that I think Jesus is the Christ and I first tell somebody, I, I believe Jesus is the Christ. Well, where would I go in the Bible to say it's at that moment? I can find that I have to believe and that I have to confess, but that doesn't tell me at what specific moment. But what the Bible does for us, it pinpoints the moment at which I go from being dead in my sins to alive in Jesus Christ. And, and it does that in Romans, the sixth chapter. We're baptized into Christ's death. We go from being dead to raised in newness of life when we come up out of the waters of baptism as Jesus came up out of the grave. So I think that those are helpful things. I hope if you're listening to this webcast today, um, we've helped you out. Guys, let's, let's do tackle that uh, statement that came out from the Pope and watch for any clarifications, see what else he may say between now and that. Let's do that in an upcoming webcast. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Chase. And thanks to everyone for listening. Bye-bye.